it's time to get all set for Sunday, a podcast for busy and distracted Catholics with your hosts, Scott Williams and Jeff Trailer. When I hear the coffee brewing, I think, what the heck we doing? Because I got barely any sleep last night. As the diaper bag I pack with hot wheels, dollies, and some snacks, I say, oh, pray there'll be a seat in the cry room this time. It's all right, because I'm all set for Sunday. It's all right, because I'm all set for. It's all right, because I'm all set for. It's all right, because I'm all set for Sunday. Welcome to All Set for Sunday, a podcast for busy and distracted Catholics to be a little more prepared for Sunday Mass. My name is Scott Williams. Jeff Trailer is here. He has a notepad. Hey, Jeff. And I'm your co-host. And yes, co-host also. Oh, I, I got really sad when you didn't call me your co-host. Hi, everyone. No, I mean, everybody I'm knows here. that. Not just a guest, co-host. Thanks for joining us as a guest today, Jeff. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Welcome, boss. I'm glad you're here. Uh, who else is joining us today, Jeff? Do you want to, since you're a co-host, you can also introduce the guests. If you yeah, like. I think our most frequent friend of the podcast at this point, uh, I think he is taking the lead. Father Tim Wichiscala, uh, pastor of St. Mark the Evangelist Parish in Indianapolis. My own pastor, uh, canon lawyer for the Archdiocese, overall mediocre guy. <laughs> How many times do I come on the show before I get to be a co-host, an honorary co-host? Oh, um, when are you going on vacation next? Oh, yeah. Uh, This fall. You should co-host and interview another priest. That would be phenomenal. That would be fun. Then I could ask the dumb question. I'm going to be on vacation a couple weeks. You just want to do it then? Yeah, let's do it. You want to co-host, Father? Sure. Get the Archbishop back. Let's do it with him. (laughs) Done. (laughs) Nothing could go wrong. He is coming up here soon. I don't know when, but I forget when, but maybe it'll time out. That would be perfect. <laughs> be happy to help. No, it's good to be back. Thanks for having me back. No, thank you for being here, Father. What size shoe do you wear? 14. 14. That's great. Yeah. Not easy to find. Yeah? Great. Shoes or socks? Shoes. Shoes? Could, yeah, socks are I was going to say, because uh, there's a little company named Sock Religious that now makes extra large socks that'll fit mm. your feet. Therefore, I can get your socks. All right. All right. Uh, two minute drill. Yeah, let's do it. Twenty first Sunday in ordinary time. Uh, we're back. We we had a little, a little solemnity, a celebration beyond just a Sunday last Sunday. Um, but now we're back to the twenty first Sunday in ordinary time. We start off with Joshua. Uh, Joshua gathers the tribes up and he says, "Listen, y'all need to decide who you're going to serve, and whoever it is, you go ahead and do that. But as for me and my house." Mm. We will serve the Lord. This week's readings are full of just a bunch of like very recognizable scripture lines. Yeah. That's one for me. I I love that line. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's our family motto as well. Is it really? Yeah. At the trailer house. I don't think anybody knows. I might've just declared it right now, but like, yeah. Like nobody in your family knows it is. Well, they'll know as soon as they listen to the podcast. If they listen. I mean, there's not like a, a sign in the kitchen. that's like live, laugh, loves. No. Okay. No, we should get one of those, I guess. Yeah. I know a guy who can print one. All right. Response to a psalm this week. Uh, taste and see the goodness of the Lord. We got a banger. It's a banger alert. Scott, banger alert. Oh, hang on. Uh, lean, lean forward. Scott. Oh. <laughs> there we go. That's the most anticlimactic banger alert ever. But Sorry. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Like, somebody's really getting down. <laughs> there it is. 
Is that better? Somebody's really getting after that. Uh, guitar mass is going to be lit for everybody this weekend. Get excited because Taste and See is the responsorial psalm. Second re- reading comes from Ephesians. I all of a sudden felt like I was at a wedding because we're getting into some traditional wedding readings here. Yeah. And yeah, I was going to do a whole description of this reading, but Father Tim said I should just say that wives should be subordinate to their husbands. And that's the only thing I should share from this reading. Well, I did not say that, <laughs> but that is a part of the reading. That is a part of, no. <laughs> wives should be subordinate to their husbands. Husbands should love their wives and the two shall become flesh. Um, and there's a lot more to it. And if yeah don't know that reading, go to more Catholic weddings and you'll be happy to uh, learn all about it. And then our gospel this week, gospel is John chapter six. Many of the Jesus's disciples who were listening said, this is hard. Who can accept it? Since Jesus knew that his disciples were murmuring about this, he said to them, does this shock you? What if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit of life that gives, that gives It is the spirit that gives life, while the flesh is of no avail. The words I have spoken to you are the spirit of life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning the ones who would would not believe, and the one who would betray him. And, And he said, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my Father. As a result of this, many of the disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to leave? Simon Peter answered him, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. Oh, nice. Father Father Tim, any, any corrections to the summaries of the readings? No, actually, I think, well, he didn't really summarize the gospel or the second reading, but the summary of the first reading was very good. Good. I hit the highlights of the second. I don't summarize the gospel. I just read it. 25%. Yeah. Yeah. That was a requirement by USCCB for us to be. Obviously the preacher this weekend can choose between first reading gospel or second reading up to this point. Most, we have a first, a first reading gospel. You say, I mean, uh, you know, the first reading gospel combo. Oh, got it. Because they go together for your homily. Father or, Tim must be in a hurry. We didn't even get our normal segue in here. Or the second reading. Go ahead, though. What was the segue? Um, the segue was... What am I going to preach about this weekend? I don't know. Yeah, usually at some point in there. Well, usually Scott has some really cool insight here. I was going to... So what, what are you thinking about preaching about, Father? I was going to ask... Um, you know, I forget. I don't know. Bang up job we're doing this week. <laughs> That's on me. Yeah. We're gonna, <laughs> that might have been my fault. Father, Father, tell us what you're preaching about this weekend. <laughs> well, it's either preacher this weekend can choose. No, Father, <laughs> what are you preaching about this weekend? <laughs> I'm not actually preaching this weekend. My deacon is. <laughs> Our but, streak continues. But since I, you always invite me when I'm not preaching, <laughs> I still have to prepare a homily for you guys. Aww. So, you know, first reading gospel goes together. Second reading is on a different a different tract, and it's also a beautiful, wonderful reading. I just want to say before, because I'm going to talk mostly about first reading gospel, but I want to say the second reading, which sometimes can be controversial, sometimes it's not often chosen anymore at weddings, just because of that whole, you know, the women should be subordinate. Sometimes we hear submissive, but I always want to point out what that really truly means. Think of like submissive, submissio, under the mission of means to support the mission of each other. And what is the mission of each spouse, but the salvation of the other spouse. So it is 
actually wraps quite beautifully into our understanding of marriage. It's not about domination or inequality in marriage or one being higher than the other. It's about supporting each other in your mission for your spouse and your family, which is mutual love and salvation for the other. And so it is it's beautiful when it's properly understood. It's one of the most beautiful wedding readings there is mm. agreed. I, I remember what I was going to say now. So had last week not been the, uh, the solemnity of the assumption, would we have had a direct reading that would have preceded stayed. this particular Sunday's yes. gospel? Because yes. it kind of just jumps into... Uh, Today, or this this coming Sunday, is the end of the Bread of Life discourse gospel readings. And previously so it was one. the institution of the Eucharist, and this is how the disciples reacted. No. No, no, no. So the the bread of life discourse comes before the Last Supper in, Got John, it. in John's gospel. Okay, so what is the teaching that they were talking about? The everything, well, pretty much what we've heard up to this point, that that Jesus is the living bread that comes down from heaven, that mm-hmm. you must eat and drink of his body and blood to have eternal life. And that, you know, that basically he's telling them, I'm the Messiah, I'm the, going to be the one... I'm the savior and this new sort of confusing teaching about his body and blood. Got it. About the Eucharist. So, okay. We did, we missed one of them. I'm up to speed now. Yeah. For the, um, I'm sorry. What's the number of this weekend? 21st. One. Yeah. We missed the tw- the 20th Sunday of ordinary time year B, which, okay. which would have been because of the immaculate conception, but this coming weekend will be the end of it. And then the, the, the weekend assumption. following, sorry, because of the assumption. Yes. I said immaculate conception, the assumption, the following weekend, we'll go back to Mark, which okay. is the year B. So this is the one, this is the end of it. And this, I think, is the most direct, most powerful, as as Jeff said, and as is sort of alluded to as prefigured in the first reading, this is where Jesus turns to us and said, I just laid it all out. Mm-hmm. You just heard me say what I said. I said everything about 10 times each. I repeated, my, <laughs> I repeated myself a lot. <laughs> He knows this my body well. is true food. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you do not have life within you. I am the living bread. I am the way, the truth, and the life. All these things. And he says, here it is. And they look and they say, this is hard. Who mm-hmm. can accept this? Which is still but true. But it's hard. It's true yes. to this day. This is hard. Who can accept this? It's still hard. Then they start to, many of them begin to leave. They're scandalized by this teaching. This is Jesus' big chance to say, wait, 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 you took me too literally. My f- obviously, you're not actually going to be eating my body and blood. My food isn't actually true. My flesh isn't actually true food. Come back and understand it more figuratively. He didn't say but that. But he didn't say that. He turns to the apostles and he says, do you want to go too? They, like he's, he could not be more direct, more clear. It is, it is interesting to me that many of wow, the- That's a really great insight. I never like- well, I understand the severity of this passage and like what's being said. I guess I've never really taken into account that idea, that reminder of like G- Jesus could have said anything here. He could have he could have gone any direction, with it, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. He made he he just emphasized, yeah, it is hard. Well, and like, it's clear that they were leaving because they properly understood what he was saying because he'd said it so much, which is yeah, salvation comes through me, and there will be a new. This new, what he's preparing them for, this new sacrament of sealing your, of being, of participating in your salvation by 
by consuming my flesh and blood. Yeah, and he's not writing them off because they leave. He's just saying, "Yeah, this is this is right. what it is." He's preparing them that he is going to be the Paschal Lamb. They all knew that they ate the flesh of the lamb that was sacrificed at the temple mm-hmm. to seal themselves in that sacrifice, and he's preparing them for that. I've always found it just a little interesting that many of the Christian traditions that came out of the Reformation period, who you know, one of their big mottos of sola scriptura that it's that our it is the scripture, not the church that leads us and that we take the scripture literally. This is where that does not happen. <laughs> right. In the, in a Except. place that, in a place where I would say it is meant to be taken most where Christ himself yeah. had every opportunity to say, don't take that too literally. It's, uh, I mean it spiritually or figuratively. And he, he does not. It makes me wonder something. I know that you want to talk about the first reading and we were dwelling on the gospel here, but uh, it makes me wonder with, you know, we keep on hearing about that, that, the Pew study or whatever about how many Catholics practicing Catholics don't, you know, understand the true presence of the Eucharist. I wonder how many Catholics that don't understand. And, you know, if we really dig into this reading, how many people would leave if they did know that? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, yeah. If we did, if they truly understood what we believe, if they would, if they would stay or if they might just reject it Mm -hmm. and stay anyways. Sorry. That's a weird thing to weird. Yeah. No, it's true. Though. I mean, I think this is the central part of what the Catholic Church is. This is why I'm called a priest and not a reverend or a minister or a or a preacher. You know that. What's the differentiation? Because a priest offers a sacrifice as his central function. Mm-hmm. I'm also a pastor, and um, you know, I'm also I also minister to people. But my chief function is to offer the sacrifice of the mass, which is you know to offer a sacrifice. That's what priesthood has always meant throughout history. Being mm-hmm. The Jewish priesthood, you know, before Christian, even outside of Christianity and Judaism, the Egyptian or the Mayan or all priesthoods, the, the main function was a cultic function of offering a sacrifice and standing as a mediary between God and man. Christ is our high priest. So all Christian, all Catholic priests share his priesthood and in his priesthood. And he, and the, and what the oblation, what is being offered is himself is his own. He's both the priest and the victim. But nonetheless, it is a true sacrifice, and it is truly partaking of the flesh of the of the lamb, sacramentally, of course. But but nonetheless, real. And you know, and this is this the end of the bread of life discourse, which probably for the apostles, I would say, didn't fully make sense until the Last Supper. So mm-hmm. keeping this this is preceding the Last Supper, and it's interesting in John's Gospel at the Last Supper, he focuses on the washing of the feet, not on the institution of the Eucharist. The other, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, don't don't talk about the washing of the feet. They talk about the institution of the Eucharist, but they don't, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't give us this bread of life discourse. So it's complementing John's gospel with the understanding of this is what is, this is what Jesus is then completing at the last supper and ultimately on good Friday on Calvary. Interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Reading number one. Well, that, all I meant by that was the first reading. Reading one is speaking. It's yeah. the predecessor. It prefigures oh, the. Okay. It prefigures the where. Where do you want to go? You know, if you want to leave, now's the time. Just as, just yeah. as uh, go. Yeah, go follow whoever you want. But as just as Joshua was saying, right. Yeah. And then I love to Peter's answer. The Peter, tribes of Israel at Shechem. Peter so often gets. You know, he's usually the first of the disciples to mess up. Mm-hmm. 
but he's also the most bold. Like he'll jump out of the boat first, but then he gets scared and starts sinking or he'll pull his sword and cut off an ear when he's not supposed to, or, you know, whatever it is. But here he really, (laughs) Peter Peter again, Peter really gets it right here. And then when he says, when Jesus says, do you want to leave? Like now's your chance. I'm not, I'm not changing this teaching. I'm not going to water it down, you know, make your decision. And Peter says the best answer possible is where else would we go? Mm -hmm. To whom shall we go? You, you have the words of eternal life and we've come to believe and be convinced that you're the son of God. So in other words, where else could we possibly go to receive any of this? Yeah. I mean, like, I, f- I feel like in a certain sense, like being a Catholic and choosing to to live this life, I mean, it is a sacrifice and we're putting all of our eggs in this one basket. But I mean, it's just like Peter says, like, where else would we go? Like, right. like it's, it's this or nothing. Yeah. Well, when you know this, like when you, like those people who walked away. Those, right. those disciples who walked away, like knowing what they know, like it, it, I agree exactly with what you're saying like, what, what, to go to another option, knowing what you know, if you understand this and you see this and you know, this information to just say, that doesn't work for me. Why would you want to go pretend, halfway on this? Yeah. I'm going to pretend like something else is the case. Like, and I don't want to be controversial or overly bold, but I would say the same question can be asked of those specifically for people that are wanting to leave the Catholic church. Where else can you go to receive the Eucharist? You might say the Eastern Orthodox, I guess, if your main beef is the Pope, but because they do have valid sacraments, they do have the Eucharist. But other than that, there isn't for the most part, the, the other Christian traditions, the other Christian denominations do not have this understanding of the Eucharist of the, of the sacrifice and of the, you know, of the priesthood. That's why they don't have mass. They mm-hmm. have a service, but not a mass, you know? And so if and it's the same reason they have a cross without a crucifix, like, yeah, I mean a big part. I mean, well, like it's, it's, you know, yeah. I, I want the salvation, but I don't want to remember what happened. The hard part. Yeah. You know? And the, you know, the part of, the fact that, because the reality is, is you need an institutional church with all of its rules and with all of its baggage that people don't like about it to have the sacrifice. There has mm-hmm. to be a ritual that is performed with the priesthood that is passed down so that this can continue in the world. The church is not just a part that was added to Christianity unnecessarily. It is the essential aspect of Christianity, which gives us access to what Jesus tells us in this reading that we have to have mm-hmm. his body and blood. That's interesting. All right, I feel like I got sidetracked, Jeff. No, that was back on. I thought it was a good sidetrack that we got on there. Okay, I was going to say the the reverse is where you see, like we talk about, like where do those who leave the church go? I this is this exactly is why I see such a beauty in people who I see come to the faith, who come to the Catholic faith, Mm -hmm. because they they recognize that what they have in another faith tradition is without that there's something missing and there's something in like hearing those stories and hearing like the beauty of people who are, who see the Eucharist and have those encounters and are just overwhelmed by this sense of like, I'm home. Like it is, it's the opposite side of what we were talking about, but it's beautiful. It's amazing to hear. So, yeah. Okay. I'm all done. Do you have more? No, no, I have a, I mean, it's a beautiful reading. It's a powerful, powerful weekend for homilies. This is when you can really, get after it as a preacher Pound <laughs> or place. or pass it off to your deacon or pass it off to your deacon our schedule <laughs> is made months and months out i do have access to a lectionary which means i technically could look ahead but <laughs> that would require an incredible amount of effort that i do not. 
that I do not put in. So I will not. Be. No, but you know, the other nice thing is, is this is now the fourth, you know, normally we'd have five, but this is the fourth bread of life discourse gospel. in a row, I think in a row, of course we had the break for the assumption and I've given the first three. And so now it's nice to hear. I feel like you put your from someone other than me. Yeah. That makes sense. Agreed. As can your parishioner. Yeah. There's only so many Eucharistic homilies you can give in a row. <laughs> yeah. You? We we had that conversation a couple weeks ago. No, sorry. This priest. is the the fourth. There was yeah. one, two, assumption this. Yeah. We had that conversation a couple weeks ago, and, and or I had that conversation with uh, another priest and said that, you know, oh, how often can you preach about the Eucharist? And he's like, and his comment was, if you if you can't preach about the Eucharist every day, you probably should rethink being a priest. <laughs> <laughs> true <laughs> but but you don't have at to, the same time it, you, so. yeah, <laughs> yeah it's nice to yeah can you can you pinpoint your most uh powerful eucharistic experience this is a non-dumb dumb question yeah uh, you special know, edition it's kind of the the there's a cliche answer which is true which is so technically the very first time you confect the Eucharist to use the proper, to use the technical term. The first time you celebrate a mass is at your own ordination, but you're celebrating with the archbishop, Mm -hmm. which is, I mean, a concelebration is the same thing as being, you know, as celebrating, it's just, you're not the one holding the host at the time. So my very, my, what we call our mass of Thanksgiving, Mm -hmm. somewhat misnomer as a first mass, because it's really your second mass, but your, but your mass of Thanksgiving, which is the first time you're the main celebrant. Uh, which for me was actually the same day as my ordination in the evening because you know you're ordained Saturday morning vigil mass. That was in holding it in my hand, saying the words, having spent eight years studying about it here, you know, preparing yourself for that moment is incredibly powerful. And then I would say then, I don't know if it's the next most or equally as powerful or, or just another extremely powerful instance for me was about a year into my priesthood celebrating the funeral of a very close friend who had been tragically killed in an, in a hit and run accident and um holding the eucharist at that point during his funeral mass and needing myself a great deal of comfort and be, and having grieving myself and holding on to at that moment i just remember there was something in my brain that clicked that the only reason that this is all going to be okay the only reason death doesn't have this ultimate power over us is because of what i just said and what i'm holding in my hands right now because mm. what christ has given us ah oh, chill and so that yeah that and it was incredibly comforting and powerful and you know again that was a year into priesthood and i think it was still something i think about every time i celebrate mass that's so, incredible if uh, answers yeah okay dumb questions <laughs> let's dumb it down you ready yeah let's do it it's time for Jeff's Dumb Questions. The part in the show where the glow of the flame of knowledge grows a little dimmer and our collective IQ goes down a few points, all thanks to Jeff. We're sorry. We're sorry. All right, Jeff, what do you got? All right, first off, I thought about this when, uh, with the second reading. So I know that for... For many priests, I guess I can't, I shouldn't say this for every priest, but I know many of the priests I know when it comes to like special events, celebration of weddings, funerals, things like that, many have two or three kind of put together homilies that they can then edit and augment for who is there and what's going on. Is, is that the case? It's a trade secret. I can't comment about that, (laughs) but yes, it's true. (laughs) Um, so my question is like you, if you have these like canned homilies or whatever, 
do you pay attention to like who's at the wedding or like who it is that you're to try to not use if you've got like two or three to try to like spread it out i have like one or (laughs) two total homily two for weddings two for funerals no when i was first ordained in that first year or so i had a bunch of i was 26 and i had a bunch of friends who were all got married within like 10 months of each other i think i had like six friend weddings my first year and it was like pretty much it was these were all Roncalli people so it was pretty much all the same people at all these weddings so i had like six different little anecdotal jokes to start off with and and then you move into your message which is ultimately kind of the same when it comes to marriage but for funerals did you ever get called out by anybody uh like, yeah because we've heard it before we got a the, yeah the Johnson because wedding in 3 weeks the setup to the, the setup to the joke was usually similar so they were like this and it was usually like a joke that was in the mouth of someone else and so they'd be like, how many like funny things did this person actually tell you? you know, <laughs> none, because that, these stories aren't real. It's just it's to get us laughing to start the homily. Um, funerals, you know, it's the poor funeral choir and the, the music director have to hear the same one every time. But, no, you know, I actually like the fact that for weddings and funerals, most of the time the, the couple or for the funeral, of course, the, the family, the bereaved, choose the readings. And it does. Now I will say this, a lot of times they're the same. They're like, there's a couple of readings for each of those two things, weddings and funerals that pretty much everybody chooses. Um, but you know, you can kind of go off that and you can, if, if you know the couple or, or if you know the deceased, I mean, it's easier yeah. than if they're, you know, there's, and there's very often where I do weddings and funerals and especially for funerals where I either never got to meet the person personally, or maybe just once. And so then it's more general and more speaking about hope in the readings and, for weddings, presumably the priest will have met the couple for preparation at least a few times, you know, and gotten to know them. So it's yeah. try and make it personal. But ultimately you're talking, I mean, the message is somewhat the same for a wedding. You're talking about the beauty of a marriage and for a funeral, the hope and eternal life. And so, yeah, yeah. I, I remember somebody talking to me about this one time and we were talking about like, if, if a priest is truly giving like a brand new and unique homily every time they, then they're probably not preaching on the readings, which is what they're supposed to be doing in their homily. It's true. Not just talking about the couple. So yeah, this is, I also love talking about this because at my own wedding, a good friend of mine, uh, preached and just roasted me. That was his homily. was (laughs) just roasting me and begging my wife to make better. If I knew, if I know the groom pretty well, then I enjoy doing that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, am I, am I correct in remembering that pre-Vatican II, not that I remember from pre-Vatican II, but pre-Vatican II, a priest could not concelebrate mass. Is that true? Yeah, it was, it was much more restricted. Um, and I'm not an expert on this, but there was, there was some form of concelebration that happened at your ordination and at chrism mass each year. That's what I was wondering. Um, during an ordination, whether or not they... I don't remember if it, how exactly that, like what the, what the understanding was, if that priest was truly celebrating a mass or if he was just joining it. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not an expert on that, but it was not the case that like multiple priests could just come together and can celebrate as we do now. In fact, if you go to cathedrals or big churches, that's, that's one of the reasons there's so many little side chapels or side altars Mm. so that when the, you know, if priests were coming in, especially a church with you know, that has lots of visitors in a big city, they could just sort of go to a side altar and you might go in at any point during the day and there'd be 20 Mm -hmm. private or small masses going on all around the sides. Um, but now, now we have where we can can celebrate around the main altar together. If there are multiple priests at present. All right, let's bring this back down. All right. 
you talked about like your, I thought of this while you were talking earlier about that, your eight years of training and you're building up to this moment of celebrating the Eucharist. Like that's so much of what your, not that your seminary is all just that moment, but it's all of the understanding and getting you to that point, being able to celebrate the mass and be a priest to, to, you know, celebrate that sacrifice. But now that you are, have been a priest, you've been a priest for what, six, seven, seven years now. Um, served as a pastor thing. What, what is the thing that you have to do on a semi-regular basis as a priest nowadays that you never would have thought <laughs> like you were for sure not trained for it. Never would have thought would have been a reality of like, of all of this training and seminary and like, what's the most absurd thing you have to deal with on a regular? Basis? <laughs> well, I mean, on a regular basis, I don't, you know, there's, I would, you know, we, we deal with a lot of sort of, you know, situations that sort of come in through the door of the parish office that, you know, that are at, you know, at a high point of, of sort of, you know, emotionality and of, you know, sometimes difficulties. So there, you know, there are, there are kind of those great, you know, like just the other, about a month ago, we had to call the police because there was a, what appeared to be a boyfriend, girlfriend dispute happening in our parking lot. The car just come flying in and then the guy jumped out and they were screaming at each other. And then suddenly the car, which was probably their young twenties, late teens, a girl was driving. She decided to what looked like to try and run him over as he ran away. We're not not sure what happened because they just sped off the property, but things like that. You didn't cover that in seminary. No, you know, things like that. Right now I have to take on the role of, you know, we are, we are doing, we just finished a capital campaign at my parish and now we are sort of transitioning into the building phase or at least preparing for the building phase. And, there's this, I never studied architecture and construction engineering and general management of, of a job. And there is a lot of stuff going on with all that, that I need a lot of help with that. Um, you know, that we have a committee started to help us with that. I never thought, or I never, I guess I knew that was a possibility, but those kind of things, there's plenty that don't, you really, you learn a, pl- a lot of theology in seminary, which is all essential and important, but most of the true day-to-day stuff you learn doing the job, you know, doing the, being a priest. Yeah. I think that's most jobs, yeah. right? Like I, I just think though for priests that it's so opposite, like the, you just hit the opposite end. So I was curious to hear that from yeah. you. Scott's also convinced that all of seminary is just an individual day to learn one thing. Yes. Like yeah. confession day. <laughs> right. Just learn to hear confess. Semester, individual semester. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a day where you learn how to shake people's hands after mass and keep the line going at the same time? No, that that is, shake and pull. I call it the priest pull. That becomes an important skill that you pick up as you go. Yes. Yeah. Okay. There's lots of skills you pick up as you go. That's all I got. That's all I got. It's alright cause I'm a sepulchre It's alright cause I'm a sepulchre It's alright cause I'm a sepulchre Sunday